Talk Radio 790 KABC. Thank you for joining us here on the Frank Sontag Show. We are here every Friday evening from 7 until 9 on Talk Radio 790 KABC. I got in the air studio a little late, was talking to the the um, superstar Frank Motek. And I haven't had a chance to set up my gear with my stories and everything else. But it, it, it gives me a chance to wax and wane a little poetic. At least that's going to be my attempt. Uh, earlier today, I found out that um, and when you get a little older, oftentimes people that you grew up watching as your heroes – Stereotypically, if everything goes the way it goes, age-wise, you you lose them. And earlier today, I found out that Jim Brown passed away. And although I didn't know him well, I had met him twice. And just want to kind of share some thoughts on not only him, but on life itself. Growing up in Cleveland, Ohio as a young boy, I didn't know anything from anything. We usually don't as young children. I idolized my father, who was very athletic and played for the Cleveland Bulldogs, which was kind of the Browns' farm system, if you will. Watched the Browns on TV, grew up a Cleveland sports fan between the Browns and the Indians. Uh, The Cavs were not a basketball team then, so I'm not a Cavs fan now. But, you know, you grow up as a child and you you find your heroes and tend to idolize them and follow them. And, gosh, I could probably recite to you the entire Cleveland Brown offensive team from the 60s. With Jim Brown being in the backfield with Ernie Green. So, growing up as a young man in the late 50s, early 60s, we had black and white television. So every Sunday, the Brownies would be on TV and I'd watch it. And they had great teams back then, championship teams. And then one day, my dad said, do you want to go to a Browns game at Municipal Stadium? And I'm like, huh? Sure. And it's interesting the things that you remember that are vivid, etched forever. I remember going to the game and walking into the stadium, going through a tunnel. And when I looked at the field for the first time, it was bright green and it hit me. Oh, my gosh, everything is in color. (laughs) Because you're so used to watching it on black and white television. Stay with me. Look, um, I'm going somewhere here. Some of you are like, I'm in. How boring is this? Whatever. I'm just, I'm going somewhere here. So we watched the game. I remember they played the New York Giants. They won something like 13 to 6. And then after, I don't know how he did it, my dad got us in the Cleveland Browns locker room. And I remember as a young child, I was six years old, walking around in the locker room, looking at these Giants in jock straps. I mean, they were just, you know, they were post-game, about ready to jump in the shower. And I remember a few of the players, I can name them, you would not know, Galen Fiss, whatever. But all of a sudden, here comes Jim Brown. And I was like in shock. And he said, my dad, introduce me. 
Jim, this is my son, Frank. And he, in that voice, and I'm looking at him, I'd never saw a man that size. So it's good to meet you, young man. And I was, I, I probably tried to say something, but I, I, I couldn't talk. And um, we left, and I was forever changed in that moment. Jim Brown, for me, to me, is the greatest running back ever in the National Football League. But, but just hang on. So we came out here in the 60s. My dad got a job in the movie industry, diehard Browns fan for most of my life. And fast forward about, gosh, at least 40 years. It was not that long ago. A good friend of mine, some of you used to listen to me on Mark and Brian, Brian Phelps, my good buddy who I still am great friends with and and love a great deal. We started to play golf after we got off the air. We used to do a 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. morning show five days a week. And so this particular day, we were playing at Mountain Gate, which is in the Sepulveda Pass. And I was still so crazy about the Browns back then. I had a Cleveland Brown polo shirt on with the the orange helmet. And so Brian and I are playing golf and front nine and Mountain Gate is an interesting track for those of you that play golf. So on the back nine, my recollection is I sliced a drive onto another fairway. And... At that time, I was playing somewhat regularly, so I was okay. I, I could I could hit it around. But the ball sprayed to another fairway, and so Brian tees off. I think we got paired with a couple other guys. By the time I started trying to find my ball, I get out of the cart and I start walking. And I see a, a, a guy, muscular, tall, black guy, walking toward my ball. And I was, you know, uh, I'd like to still think I was kind of young and stupid. And he was going over to my ball, and I go, hey, that's my ball. And he didn't say anything. And as I'm walking up, I was, I'm, I'm say it's probably 15 years ago. I was probably in my early 50s. As I'm walking up to my golf ball, my thought is, oh, my God, that's Jim Brown. <laughs> and he said, uh, this is my ball. And I'm like, uh, no, I think it's mine. And he was insistent. And then I, I turned into the six-year-old little boy. M- Mr. Brown, I, I met you in 1962 when you, you played the New York Giants. And you, you, I just, I, I turned into a little kid. And he just looked at me like, okay, you know, this guy's a little nuts. But then he goes, why are you wearing that shirt? Because it had the Browns logo on it. And I said, as I said, I'm a lifelong Cleveland Browns fan. Uh, Told him a little bit more. And he looks at me and he goes, yeah, it's your ball. And, And don't ever give up on the Browns. And he walked away. And so in the ensuing years, uh, from afar, uh, I did a, a late night program on KLOS and dealt a lot with altruistic groups. And I knew that Jim was involved with Amer I Can. Uh, attempting to help some of the inner city youth. Invited him on the program a few times with no success. I was on late at midnight. We had some mutual friends. And then, um, you know, I would see him recently. Each football season, he would pop up somewhere. And I I, I got to start to think, and, you know, he's getting older. We all do. 
And then this morning I woke up or this afternoon I found out he had passed away. So let me, let me try to formulate something poignant in this moment that defies sports talk or what sounds like something along the lines of, you know, guy stuff. Growing up, the majority of us were filled with nothing but hope and awe of life. I'm not saying it wasn't confusing. I'm not saying many of us didn't survive some, some, some very challenging situations with family, etc. But it was like you were filled with life. Almost as if you, you, would, you would be immortal. I remember in my early teens, maybe some of you can relate to this, I couldn't wait to grow up. I wanted, to, I wanted to grow up and get my own place and move out of the house and start working and so much in a hurry to, to get older. In fact, I'll never forget, I, I had my first apartment in 19. I was sitting in the front room. I'm thinking, this is it. And all I could think of was how much I missed my mom's home cooking. <laughs> And it was it was it was pretty miserable. But where is that part of us that we grew up with with just kind of an awe for life? Right? Where it it didn't seem so overwhelming. I'm trying to teach my 15-year-old son about responsibilities and he's struggling with 15 and and all all that comes with that age and He's like, I can't wait till I'm older. I'm like, son, you're going to look back and you're going to remember and you're going to go, I, I wish I was 15 again. But I think more than anything, what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get to is that there was a time growing up we, had a, we just had a love for life, right? Whether it was manifest in music, I, I grew up, lo- I watched the Beatles, in the early 60s, and that was it for me. Things were so much simpler then. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have a a lot of things, a lot of distractions. And the very last thing, it's just interesting how childhood memories line up in time. It's almost as if if it, 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 time stands still, where here I am 60 years later, thinking, where did the last six decades go? And now my childhood idol, probably above any, any sports athlete, is no longer with us. He aged. He became frail in his old, old age. And now he's gone. What do we learn from life? What's life really about? We have the screen on in the air studio of a couple channels, and there was this one story where There's just so much hatred and anger in the world. Driving on the freeway recently, I've I've lamented on the air a few weeks ago. Now now we've got people just driving in excess speeds or jumping in and out of the carpool lane. Just so much anger and hatred and what's happened to us. We've, We've almost lost our humanity. Dr. King used to talk about man's inhumanity to man. And I don't think life is any different. I think maybe we've changed. We've given up. We've sold out. We've lost our first love. 
which I believe is life itself and all of the, the, the possibilities of, of what may occur. The good and the bad. The heartbreaks and, and, and the exhilaration of, uh, of just having a day where you watch the sun go down at the beach and you, you, you smell the, the water in the air and the negative ions are flying everywhere and life is good. I think that's what I'm trying to tell you. Life is really good. Don't give up. No matter your circumstances. Maybe I'll share a little more on the other side, but we are late for a break. I pray for the Brown family, the entire Brown family. And uh, I'm just so thrilled that I will have those memories forever until my Lord takes me home. 800-222-5222, 800-222-5222. kabc are the phone lines to call in the radio station. Maybe you want to call in and share something. We have a wide open board. As always, Trisha is the woman you speak with when you call in the program. Wayman is in Master Controls. My name is Frank Sontag. And yes, indeed, this is the Frank Sontag Show on Talk Radio 790 KABC. Talk Radio 790 KABC. Welcome to this, the Frank Sontag Show. In 1992, I read a book that I've alluded to from time to time called In the Absence of the Sacred. The author talks a lot about technology and how we live in a day and age by which, even back then 30 plus years ago, we hear all of the attributes and the positive spin on technology, but rarely do we hear anything negative. And the book, In the Absence of the Sacred, really changed my life. The way in which the author shared some things, his childhood, etc. And um, I, um, I just went online... And I want to read a little bit about what I shared in the first segment about life and life from this man's perspective. I think it'll speak for itself. Modern technology advanced in such tiny increments for so long that we never realized how much our world was being altered or the ultimate direction of the process. But now the speed of change is accelerating logarithmically. It is apparent that developing a language and set of standards by which to assess technological impact and to block it where necessary is a critical survival skill of our time. And again, this was written in 1992. Listen to this. This is under the chapter entitled Growing Up with Technology. The author writes, I was born in 1936. At the time, there were no jet airplanes, and commercial plane travel was effectively non-existent. There were no computers, no space satellites, no microwave ovens, no electric typewriters, no Xerox machines, no tape recorders. Again, this was written in 92. It's kind of funny. There were no stereo music systems, no compact discs. There was no television in 1936. No space travel, no atomic bomb, no hydrogen bomb, no guided missiles as they were first called, no smart bombs. 
There were no fluorescent lights, no washing machines, no dryers, no Cuisinarts, no VCRs. There was no air conditioning. Nor were there freeways, shopping centers, or malls. There were no suburbs as we know them. There was no express mail, no fax. This is really outdated. No telephone touch dialing, no birth control pill. There were no credit cards, no synthetic fibers. There were no antibiotics, no artificial organs, no pesticides or herbicides. He writes, that was 55 years ago. Again, this was written in 92. He writes, during my lifetime, all of this changed. This is the part I really want to share with you. And I pray it blesses you. When I was four years old, writes the author, his name is Jerry Mander. That's really his name. Our family moved from the Bronx to the Yonk to Yonkers, just three miles north of the New York border, New York City border. To me, it was like moving to the wilderness. I remember my first sight of our new house. Small, neat, brick with white trim, located at the end of a dirt road. Surrounded by woods, I saw deer, pheasant, foxes, raccoons, and owls. When I started school at the age of five, I walked there on a path through the woods. I still remember details of that path. A tangle of roots that I had to climb over, an old maple tree that I grew to like, much as one likes another person. Walking this path twice daily, I kept track of minor changes, like the ever-deepening channels, the rain's runoff left in the mud. My mother told me that's how the Grand Canyon got started. I was dazzled by the thought. Within two years, the dirt road in front of our house was converted to gravel, and four houses were built about 50 feet from each other. More were planned. I watched the trees fall to make way for the new construction. There was a big debate in our house. Should we buy the plot directly behind our property to keep it from being developed? We didn't buy it. My parents could not believe the hillside behind us would ever be developed. Within a few years, it became the largest apartment development in the, that part of Yonkers. We planted fir trees along our back fence for privacy, but we were beginning to feel closed in. Soon after, we had our first parking problem. Eventually, our gravel street was converted to asphalt. A few years later, a yellow line was painted down the middle. My path through the woods became the New York City Thruway. The unending noise of speeding cars and trucks blotted out the sounds of wind and birds, and by 1955, the woods and the animals were all gone. Replaced by hundreds of little brick houses, very much like our own, with lawns in the front and back and fences. Our neighborhood had become a middle-class suburb. My parents took a friendly view of these changes. Although the nearly rural environment to which they had escaped was virtually destroyed, they and their friends found solace in the fact that this was called progress and that someone was making money from it all. Most of our neighbors were of Jewish and Italian immigrant backgrounds. To them, these developments confirmed the greatness of America. My mom's favorite activity was shopping, and I loved to go with her. My mother approached this task with the attitude of an Eastern European. She was born in Romania, where the town square was also its marketplace and social center. Her favorite place to shop was back in the Bronx on Jerome Avenue around the corner from where we used to live. 
Jerome Avenue might as well have been Eastern Europe. Shopkeepers put their wares out on the sidewalk, use clothing, knitting goods, leather, produce, kosher meats, baked goods, and fish. Interspersed with all this were delicatessens and tiny repair shops. Food stores were the most exciting. Pickle barrels, hanging salami, sawdust on the floor. The accepted manner of shopping for food was to yell and argue. The street teemed with people. It seemed like my mother knew at least half of them. By the time I was 10, we stopped visiting Jerome Avenue. The Cross County Shopping Center in Yonkers was completed. It was to become a prototype for the mauling movement that has since swept the country. Most admired and the most flamboyant person in our neighborhood was Morris Woodrow, the doctor. The immigrants who lived in this neighborhood were impressed by the simple fact that one of their own had become a doctor. But Woodrow was more than an ordinary doctor. He lived in the largest house in the neighborhood, a pillar, Georgian-style mansion. He kept two black Cadillacs parked conspicuously in front of his house. He even had a chauffeur. If you had extra money, you didn't flaunt it. Woodrow did. I'm reading from the book In the Absence of the Sacred by Jerry Mander. This is the first chapter. Years later, when my parents finally retired to Florida, they lost contact with Morris Woodrow. My father fell prey to the voracious breed of doctor that seems to be spawned by places where there are a lot of old people. Through the Yonkers expatriate grapevine, Morris Woodrow, still living in Yonkers, heard all of this. He telephoned one day to tell my father that, you better get checked out. I haven't seen you in years. I'm concerned for your health. Anyway, by the time of the phone call, my parents had accepted the high-tech medical solutions of the big doctors in Florida, the pill cycle. My father never did get off the pill wheel. About two years after Woodrow's call, he passed away. Cars were very important. There were constant discussions among males of all groups concerning auto design, performance, and symbolic significance of particular models. Was it classy or not? All a part of growing up. I remember cars with wool-covered seats, good for sleeping on long drives from the grandparents' house home in Brooklyn. In Yonkers, we used cars to go everywhere. Usually empty sidewalks were filled with formally dressed people walking arm in arm. And yet here we are. Here we are to this day and age of technology and the hustle and bustle of prosperity and progress. I'll close with this. As a child of those times, I found things like the New York World's Fair, of which 45 billion people attended, with all of the futuristic accoutrements of the world. During the two decades following the World's Fair, similar images became prevalent in the mass media. By the time the Second World War ended, advertising was extolling the virtues of everything. These were the decades in which the American dream was being created. Technology was going to make anything and everything possible. The value system incorporated certain key attitudes.
technological innovation. It's always good. It aids health. It saves labor. It's the engine that drives economic growth, which in turn drives the American standard of living upward, which benefits all people. Fifty years later, however, as the world hurdles toward its greatest environmental crisis since the dawn of human life, a crisis driven by the insatiable need to feed resources to the technological machine and to consume them as commodities, we are at an appropriate moment to question whether this path we have chosen and celebrated has lived up to its promise, if not, if it ever will. Gerrymander, the book is called the In the Absence of the Sacred. 800-222-5222, 800-222-5222. The board is wide open. What's on your mind? Let me know you're out there. How are you? How's life? When we return, as always, we'll get into the stories of the week. And I pray also to talk to many of you, our KBC family. 800-222-5222. 800-222-KABC. Give us a call. Let us know what's on your mind as we continue with more of this. The Frank Sontag Show on Talk Radio 790-KABC. Talk Radio 790-KABC. Thank you for joining us here on The Frank Sontag Show. I've gotten a lot of emails. The phones are a little quiet, but my inbox to... My email address is very active, and uh, I guess I'll address the big old elephant in the room because all of the emails are about, are you really leaving? Um, The answer is yes. A week from tonight will be my last show. And there's the whys and don't go and oh my gosh and look. (laughs) Sometimes you have to make decisions that are hard decisions. And I have really enjoyed the last year. Um, This place feels like home. My first radio gig was with this same company. And um, it's time to move on. I I don't need to get into the particulars. But you may, Lord willing, find out, maybe hopefully sooner than later, that I'll be back on five days a week somewhere. One night a week on Friday night, it's difficult to come in here, and that's just the way things are. And in in this day and age of technology as well, some of of you have suggested, oh, do a podcast, please. Well, we do podcasts. This show is all podcasted on my site, franksontag.com. I have a full-time men's ministry. We had our board of directors meeting. And there's some things going on in that world. So I'm quite busy. If it's God's will for me to be back on the radio, I'll be back on the radio. But I think after a year here, um, it's time to move on, save something unprecedented and unseen happens in the 11th hour. So for all the view that sent me the email, thank you. And for those of you that commented on my um, my Instagram page, I shot a quick video before I walked into work talking about this is my second to last show. Thank you for all your kind comments. Let us talk to Bob in Malibu. Bob, you are on the Frank Sontag Show on 790 KABC. Hello, Bob. 
Hello, Bob. There you are. Hi, are you Bob. There? Oh, good. Hi. So appreciate your earnest nature, really. Um, I was one of those kids like Jerry Mander on Jerome Avenue, and oh. we moved from the Bronx to Brentwood here in Los Angeles. Oh, my gosh. Kid. Yeah, it was quite a cognitive dissonant thing, you know. But uh, nonetheless, uh, my father was a liaison between Sinatra and, Colum- and Columbia Pictures for that movie, From Here to Eternity. Fast forward a few years later, I discover Sinatra in my father's credenza, the album, and I started singing When Somebody Loves You, It's No Good Unless She Loves You, you know, that song yep. all the way. Yep. One day he brings home this slight man. I look, it was raining, and it was Frank standing there in our Bronx apartment, Riverdale, you know. Oh, my gosh. And, yes, and he said, hey, kid, I, I hear you want my job. And... Uh, <laughs> After dinner, he he said, what do you want to play? And he tinkered on the piano, which he was able to do. And that was the beginning of a 40-year relationship um, until his death in 1998. Wow. Uh, yeah. And so I, too, like you, are so sensitive to those like Jim Brown who died today. Oh, my goodness. We're, we're all getting older. And I choose to take solace in the soundtrack of the music of my youth. And it keeps me with that hopeful feeling of life that's, that's ahead of us. Mm, amen. And, and, yeah. And that's how I cope with it. Uh, I take 40 vitamins a day, like mm. Bob Cummings used to. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, you know, uh, not to interrupt, but it, it's very interesting. No. I, I remember um, my dad and I shared the same birthday. Oh. And he they had the same name as me. I mean, you talk about living in the shadows of your dad. But I remember for my uh, 10th birthday, we had a cake. And on the cake, candles, w- what was written was the number 33 and the number 10. He was 33 that yeah. day. I was 10. Uh, my mom and dad had myself and my sister very young, but here's the point of the story. I remember that. And I, I remember when I looked at the cake, and I used to think, 33 is so old. My dad is so old. Yeah. <laughs> and now yeah, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm a bagels and locks Jew. In Ooh. other words, that's about it for me. Uh, you know, I, uh, I eat Jewish food, so I'm Jewish. But I tell you, listening to you, it's like, hmm, should I become a Christian? You know, you, mm. you're just an amazing, amazing individual. Uh, you have a wonderful way about you. Well, you're very you. kind, and maybe uh, maybe someday we uh, we need to meet up over at Cantor's if you want to take a little drive. That would be a drive for me, but I'd love to sit down and talk with you more. Well, you know, Mort's and Tarzana or, uh, uh, you know, uh, whatever. Yeah. I, I'd love to do that. Would you send me an email and let me know how I can get a hold of you? I sure will. Do you have my email address? I sure will. Uh, Go ahead. Do it again. It's just frank at kmgministries.com. Righto. I'll do that, Frank. Good to hear from you again, Bob. Thank you for calling. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. I have a daughter who is 35 and my son is 15 little bit of a, a an age gap. And I remember when my daughter was born, I had no children up until that point. I was 32, and I remember thinking, everything's about to change. And of course it did. Um, sadly, 
I, I had a broken marriage. Um, my, my stupidity. Uh, my daughter grew up. Uh, they moved actually to Vegas when my daughter was four. The big earthquake of um, when would that year be? 92? Something like that. And um, blink your eyes, 20 years later, my son's born. And I remember everybody telling me, you, you have a son? We used to go to the grocery store when my son was born. And um, I was 52 at the time. And every once in a while, a cashier would go, oh, your grandson is so cute. And I'd kind of wince a little bit. I don't think I look that old. Heck, I was looking at a video by Robert De Niro today. The dude is 79, and he just had his seventh kid. And I'm, I'm thinking, I was a little sensitive at 52. You have your seventh child at, at the age of 79? I mean, okay, more power to you. I mean, I don't know, but here's the point of the story. Mortality is real. And if you do it right, with age comes wisdom. I remember growing up, there was this elderly lady three doors down from where we lived. And I would go down every once in a while. You know, when you're, when you're young, everything is so big. If you've ever moved away and, and gone back to your old neighborhood as an adult, you're like, what's up with this? Everything is so small. But I remember walking to her house four doors down, and it seemed like I was walking eight miles, right? Walking away from home, be careful. But the point of the story was she was always so joyous and filled with life. She would have um, donuts for us and always very kind and would always read to us. And, and she used to tell us, myself, goodness gracious, you talk about things flooding back. Um, Johnny Sabraka, uh, and I, I mean, names I, I've never remembered. Bernard Joyce, who I, I, I met, follow up on Twitter. I grew up with him. Anyway, your childhood friends. We used to go down there and she used to say, now, boys, respect life and love people. And if you do it right as you get older, life gets better and better and better. And for whatever reasons, that always stuck with me. Right? You kind of, the proof's in the pudding. It's one thing if somebody tells you that and they're old and crotchety and mean-spirited and miserable. No, this, this woman was just filled with life and... Always had music playing. Yeah. Have we lost something? I fear we have, but that's fear. And I pray that's more fear than reality. But my goodness, we're in such a hurry. I was reading an article earlier today about the exodus out of California. I think people are yearning more and more for maybe a little bit of a respite or, or a quieter life. But life is good, intrinsically good, right here where you are. And through my ministry, through this program, tonight and next Friday, and wherever else I have an opportunity to reach out to anybody, I'm just here to tell you that life is good. And if you're struggling, get help. There's no reason such a blessing. One more point. I didn't plan on doing any of this tonight. I've got a stack of articles, but so be it. 
Your heart beats every day 103,600 times, give or take a few. Is that you? Do you sit there and think, I'm, I'm going to make my heart beat now? Or, or when you get sick, we have an immune system. We heal in time. Things we take for granted. The miracle of life itself. We're all miracle beings. God made us in his image and we all have our own gifts and there's nobody like you. Nobody like me. (laughs) But I just pray blessing over you and that you do enjoy life. 800-222-5222, 800-222-KABC. Gosh, again, not planned this. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about some of the secrets of life, shall we? Wide open board. You're all quiet out there tonight. 800-222-KABC, and we will continue. More of this, the Frank Sontag Show, next on Talk Radio 790-KABC. Talk Radio 790-KABC, thank you. For joining us here on the Frank Sontag Show, the numbers to call into the program are the same each and every week, 800-222-KABC. Thank you to our dear friends, sponsors, Berglund and Johnson. They have for 40 years been fighting for those of us that have suffered life-changing injuries, motorcycle, accidents, auto, traffic, I mean, you name it. Sadly, in the case sometimes of, of death negligence of wrongful acts. Berglund and Johnson are there for you. It's almost like a ministry. Dan Johnson is a dear friend of mine. And if you um, have been hurt, maybe you've got a lawyer and you're thinking, nah, this isn't really working out. You can always reach out to Berglund and Johnson for a free evaluation. No, no push, no nothing. Just a second opinion. Cost you nothing to find out if they can help. The number is 804, the number four and the words if hurt. 800, the number four and the words if hurt. If Berglund and Johnson takes your case, their attorneys and staff will personally work on your case. Fighting for you to get the most compensation that the law allows. You know, sometimes you watch television commercials and you'll see a lawyer, I'm not going to name names, but... Sometimes you follow up and you're like, hey, that's not, that's not, you know, they've got a whole team of people. Berglund and Johnson, they're, they're like a family. They're hands-on. So if you're hurting, you need some help, you've been seriously injured, call them. 800, the number four, and the words, if hurt. Let us talk to Brent in Los Angeles. Brent, you're on Talk Radio 790 KABC. Hello, Frank. Hi, Brent. You know, I think one of your greatest conversational talents is your ability to inflame your listeners' memories and imaginations. And I think you are touching on something very fundamental tonight. Uh, I think that was what you were actually getting at when you kept repeating how our childhoods somehow seem to be so much more alive with life. And, and it seems how like, these days life is becoming so much more sterilized and numbed, electrified, computerized, and soulless. And my first call to you is when you brought up Vince Scully, who I really loved, but I wasn't a baseball fan, just like I admired Jim Brown, though I wasn't a football fan. But these were great personalities and great men with great energy and, and, and great motivations. And, you know, I didn't get involved in sports because I 
well, uh, spectator sports, because I wanted to just go out and exercise myself and sure. do the athletics myself. But I, I could see w- what greatness there was there. And I think this is coming across in so many ways. And it, it's interesting since, uh, you know, when I, I think of, you know, Jim Brown, he, you know, he's a, a, a great black man who I grew up with. Yes. But, but I grew up with, with whenever I used to think of black music, it was always the gold standard. All the way from the turn of the century, if it's Scott Joplin and then Count Basie and Duke Ellington, going up to Jimi Hendrix and you know Louis Armstrong, Sabby Davis Jr., uh, Entertainment, Sidney Poitier, and it seems like, uh, and today, there is such an emptiness mm-hmm. and a bankruptcy there, which is similar to a lot of the bankruptcy in our culture. Our technologies give us great possibilities and they're great tools but we're we're substituting them for human beings right. and and so i think this thing a sense of loss yeah we have lost something but i think we need to get it back i it is the soulfulness it's the spirituality i mean even when people weren't religious they had a great admiration That's for right. people who were That's right. So I don't know. These are some of the thoughts I was having when you were bringing this up. Well, I will tell you this. If indeed I do go off the air next Friday being my last one, one of the the, the many things I will miss will be your calls. And um, I just appreciate you and your willingness to call in and and share and your depth. Um, And uh, I won't won't get too nostalgic right now because I would hope and pray we talk next Friday as well. But for now, just thank you for calling and for sharing your thoughts. And I... I echo your sentiments as you were talking about I the word that kept coming through my mind was the soul. We've kind of lost the soul of things. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean necessarily in a religious way. Right, but I think that's why I was thinking about music. Yep. Because there's something that music is so transcendent and even when it was just rock and roll it, 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 when you think of the basic music of today, I mean, there's always great musicians all over the place, but you have to look for them. But the culture has lost its music. Brent, God bless you. Always God good to hear you. from you. Thank you for calling. Let us talk to Jack in Diamond Bar. Jack, you're on 790 KABC. Well, we lost Jack. Maybe he'll call back. Cell phone. Um, one thought as Brent was talking... I, I look, I don't have the answer. And, and I know some of you may hear that conversation and you're like, eh, I don't know if I agree with that. You don't have to. But I've always thought if we indeed are missing something, if, if the very humanity that connects us all. Again, I was watching this news story. Um, there, there's so much... Racial strife and animosity and anger and this world is is fast approaching some very troubling things. And I just can't help but think, okay, w- what's the answer? What's missing? You know, in Mander's book that I read a little bit from chapter one, he wrote a book before in the absence of the sacred, the book was called, the let's see, The Four Arguments for the Elimination of Television. And although he wasn't arguing no TV, but he was talking from a place about the impact of technology. Even if we agree, those of us that 
maybe boomers, if you will, that growing up there was a certain a certain experience that life was was intrinsically good, even though it wasn't easy or sometimes, you know, family, a lot of us are products of divorced homes, et cetera, et cetera. But my point now is if there's something intrinsically illuminating and exciting about childhood, how about the children today? Seems like a lot of kids are really suffering. And I don't profess to say the answers are simple. There's a complexity to this, but there, there may be some core tenets that are missing right now. I, I think this is a spiritual problem, not a political problem. I go down the line with the isms. I think it's a spiritual problem. And I think that we have a, not a reliance or a dependence. We have an addiction to technology. Brent said it. It's not the same thing, texting or, or even talking to someone on the phone than, than sitting across from them in person. We've lost our very connection to one another. We've lost our connection to the environment. You sit and you may watch documentary on television of the rainforest and you're all informed and you have all this information. And, and, and yeah, that's beneficial. But it's not the same thing as sitting in the rainforest. It's not the same thing. There's something that is lost. And I, for one, as long as the Lord gives me breath, I'm going to fight to share and talk about how good life is, and love is the most powerful force. And that doesn't mean you agree on everything. God's love is the most powerful force on this planet. He loves us as his sons and daughters. Maybe I'll share a little bit more on the other side. We have um, some lines open. I think Jack is back. Jack, you'll be my first call on the other side. 800-222-5222. 800-222-KABC. If you miss any of this program... You can always listen to our entire podcast, download it pretty much right after the program at franksontag.com. You're listening to Talk Radio 790 KABC.